Welcome to a new sponsor, A.N. Weber Incorporated. Now in their 76th year, Weber has offices in Kankakee, Illinois, Nashville, Tennessee, El Paso, Texas, and Chandler, Arizona. Whether you're looking for company equipment to haul dry van or flatbed freight, or logistic services for all types of freight, or even a career in driving, maintenance, or sales, call Mark Tedford at 815-939-2235. You can apply online at anweber.com. Weber has immediate openings for drivers in all areas and mechanical technicians in Kankakee, Illinois, and El Paso, Texas. Weber is also looking for logistic agents across the country. Again, call Mark Tedford at 815-939-2235 or apply online at anweber.com. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the 42nd edition of Weber's Whipping Post. I'm Weber, and I'm delighted you took the time out to listen. This episode is entitled, Well, I Done Got Old. Today, I'm going to talk about my granddaughter, my daughter, Tim Scott, the tiff between Biden and Axelrod, the Republican debate, and other material before finishing with my latest opinion piece. This podcast is brought to you by Jeff and Brandon Chiro at Core Street Ford, now in their 40th year servicing the Kankakee County area. Stop by their showroom at 558 William Latham Drive in Bourbon A and check out that amazing GT in the showroom. You can save up to $6,000 on a selection of Ford 150 pickups. Core Street Ford is open from Monday through Saturday, offering new car and truck sales, pre-owned autos, and vehicle servicing. You can call them at 815-939-9600 or check out their website at www.courtstreetford.com. Order the Ford of your dreams today. First and foremost, a major announcement. I have a brand new granddaughter, my fifth. Sloan Weber was born on the 10th of November to my son and daughter-in-law, Zach and Allie. We're pumped. It's their first child and our 11th grandchild. Yeah, we're pretty fortunate. Welcome to the family, Sloney Baloney. Another announcement is my daughter Sarah was recently promoted at her career. She is now vice president for her marketing firm in charge of the Coca-Cola account worldwide. She will have 60 people reporting to her. Formerly, she was in charge of the Microsoft account. Congratulations, Chili Bean. Hey, Tim Scott dropped out of the presidential race. Too bad. I think Tim was a good man. You would make a good vice president candidate for Trump or DeSantis, whichever one we end up with. Now there are calls for the other schmucks to get out, leaving just Trump, DeSantis, and Haley. Christie can't drop out soon enough, in my opinion. I frankly wouldn't mind if Haley got out, and we got down to the real meat of the whole process. By God, I found someone to agree with Joe Biden. He called David Axelrod a prick. Although for different reasons, we agree. Axelrod has called for Biden to get out of the race for 2024 due to his age and current poll numbers. Biden's underwear twist up over that. 
Axelrod was the prick that sprung Obama on us, something we still haven't gotten over. Peter Ducey, usually the only conservative having to follow the president, or Biden's lying little minion, Karine Pierre, is the guy that always asks the questions they don't want to answer. So he asked Biden about his poll numbers. Biden responded by accusing Ducey of not reading the polls. Biden thinks he's beating Trump in 8 out of 10 states and even offering to get Ducey a copy. I would like a copy of that copy. After the last Republican debate, which was laughingly hosted by Lester Holt and Kristen Welker, most media outlets pointed out that the clear winner of the debate was Vivek Ramaswamy. Now USA Today, no survey, they didn't believe it. To them, the clear winner was Nikki Haley, the media's favorite darling. Our lamestream media wants us to think Haley is doing well as she doesn't stand a snowball's chance in hell of beating any Democrat. But USA Today reported Haley won. Just one more damned example of anti-American reporting by a left-leaning newspaper that can't be trusted for any more than birdcage fodder. If you missed the debate, you missed a hell of a starting monologue by Ramaswamy, who went on the offensive right away. Called unhinged by some left-leaning news outlets, which most of them are, Ramaswamy weighed in what many of us are thinking. He called the Republican Party the party of losers, which they are. He correctly stated there is a cancer in the Republican Party, which there is. And he blamed it on the Republican National Committee chairwoman, Rona McDaniel, a relative of Mitt Romney, certainly the poster child for Republican in name only. Ramaswamy said, we have lost 2018, 2020, 2022. No red wave that never came. We got trounced last night in 2023. I think we have accountability in our own party. Ramaswamy said before inviting McDaniel to resign, bravo, Vivek. He then turned on the debate monitors themselves saying, think about who is moderating this debate. This should be Tucker Carlson, Joe Rogan, and Elon Musk. We'd have 10 times the viewership asking questions that GOP primary voters actually care about and bring more people into our party. Vivek then finished by saying the Trump-Russia collusion hoax that you pushed on this network for years, was that real or was that Hillary Clinton made up disinformation? Answer the question. Go. Hey there, this episode comes to you from George Ryan Jr. Insurance Group. Everybody needs insurance, so why not buy it from the great folks at George Ryan Jr. Insurance who supports programs like mine? You can depend on the George Ryan Jr. Insurance Company, so please go ahead and give George a call at 815-936-0075. That's 815-936-0075, or look them up on their website, and save on insurance at grinsure.com. Hillary Clinton, still obsessed with Trump, compared him to Hitler while warning he could win again. This sentiment was expressed on The View, Joy Behar's personal little daily diatribe that nobody watches. Had her rantings been expressed on any other channel, it would have been shelved and the ladies would all be looking for jobs. Anyway. Clinton babbled that Adolf Hitler was also duly elected, 
warning what might happen if Trump were elected in 2024. She replied to someone named Sonny Hosting, I think it would be the end of our country as we know it. God, I hope so, Hillary and Hosting, whoever the hell you are. As a matter of fact, Hillary, I hope your devious Democrat Party is successful at putting Trump in prison for any of the trumped-up 91 charges, and then he wins the presidency and pardons himself while in prison. I want to see your big, fat head explode, Hillary. I want it shown on national TV in slow motion, and then I want him to throw your ass in prison where it belongs. Did you hear about the Green Colorado Funeral Home, whose owners were arrested following the discovery of 190 decaying bodies? Well, I intend to bring that news to you. Yep, the owners, John and Carrie Halford, owners of Return to Nature Funeral Home in Colorado Springs, were arrested last Wednesday on suspicion of abuse of a corpse, theft, money laundering, and forgery. Wait, abuse? What did they do with the corpses? The investigation came in October when they got reports of foul odors. When the authorities investigated, they discovered bodies improperly stored, and the owner admitted he practiced taxidermy at the location. What? Taxidermy? On dead human bodies? The authorities identified 110 bodies and are working to identify the 80 others. But don't worry, folks. According to... The pinheaded Fremont County Coroner Randy Keller, the bodies are being treated with utmost care and respect. I certainly feel better after hearing Randy's reassuring words. How about you? Hey, Randy, I want you to know who got stuffed and put on the basement wall, though. I guess Biden is trying a mandate that forces employees to conform to a gender pronoun policy, despite the fact that it is probably illegal. The Department of Health and Human Services imposed a transgender pronoun mandate that required employees to deny the truth about people claiming to be something they're not or face being canned. This is despite First Amendment rights that protects people from being required to lie or forced to adopt state-approved principles or to deny their faith. In an email, the HHS stated, all employees should be addressed by the names and pronouns they use to describe themselves. And those employees can wear clothes and use restrooms based on what gender they identify with, Despite the truth, it should be pointed out the HHS employs the nut job Rachel Levine, the assistant HHH secretary who identifies as transgender. So an HHS employee who states Levine is a man, which he is, is supposedly misgendering him, which would be considered a violation of their anti-discrimination laws, which could lead to the employee's determination, despite his First Amendment rights. My pronouns, by the way, are him and stud muffin. Please refer to me by those pronouns in the future. In an 1885-word rant by Stephen Collins, a senior reporter for CNN Politics, isn't that an oxymoron, CNN Politics? Donald Trump is promising a presidency 
that would be an aberration in American history. As an example, Collins pointed to Trump's speech in New Hampshire recently on Veterans Day when Trump said, we will root out the communist, Marxist, fascist, and the radical left thugs that live like vermin within the confines of our country. Evidently, to Collins, that's going to be a bad thing. Collins said that Trump was using the demagogic technique of dehumanizing his opponents and that he warned the real threat is not from the radical right. The real threat is from the radical left, and it's growing every day. Trump said that. Collins didn't like that. Collins further regurgitated, at a time of global unrest, has wars raged in Gaza and Ukraine, and with U.S. power challenged by foes like China and Russia, Trump also resorts to a classic authoritarian trope by saying the threat from outside forces is far less sinister, dangerous, and grave than the threat from within. Not done, Collins scribbles, Trump, who often praises the world's tyrants, is using another move from their playbook, venomously targeting outsiders and immigrants with racially charged imagery. This recalls the language of white supremacy, according to Collins, and political violence that is increasingly entwined with Trump's brand. He told the right-leaning National Pulse, this is Trump again, website, that undocumented migrants are poisoning the blood of our country. It's so bad, and people are coming in with disease, Trump further stated. Collins compared Trump with fascist dictators like Hitler and Mussolini, two dictators Americans gave their lives fighting. Trump says horrifying things. American political lore is scattered with strongmen, demagogues, and extremists. Yet none has been as close to putting into practice an agenda that would so call into question the foundational principles of American democracy, Collins sobbed. Ignoring the 2020 summer riots, Collins prattled on, Trump became the first president to deny that he lost in an election in which he was rejected by voters and after his call for supporters to fight like hell on January 6, 2021, was followed by an invasion of the U.S. Capitol. The ex-president is leaving no doubt about his desire to use a second White House spell to exact revenge against his political enemies and legal authorities. Those enemies, by the way, would be the ones that leveled not one, but two sham impeachments at him, 91 trumped-up indictments, drug his children into court, accused him of rape, and cheated him out of the presidency against Biden. They've accused him of everything short of eating little kids and puppies for breakfast. But Collins still wasn't done with his fearful diatribe. In a true social post in September, Trump complained that then-Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff General Mark Milley was guilty of a treasonous act by speaking to a Chinese general in the final days of his administration that was so egregious that in times gone by, the punishment would have been death. Hey, Collins, what's your problem with that? It was a treasonous act. Collins believes Trump aspires to strongman power with absolute authority. 
He posed the greatest challenge to the rule of law and the Constitution. He would seek to crush press freedoms and gut the machinery of government. I hope you're right, Collins. The current socialist machinery of our government needs to be gutted and the swamp drained. And it certainly wouldn't hurt to scrub the press clean, too. And speaking of Trump, did you see his left-leaning older sister, Mary Ann Barry, died at the age of 86? She was a Bill Clinton-appointed judge in Philadelphia and a strong critic of her brother. As of yet, they have not pinned her death on Trump, but they still have time. This is the kind of crap that is just wrong on so many levels. Jimbo Fisher was a football coach at Texas A&M. He became coach in 2017 with a 10-year salary for $75 million. Ridiculous money for a coach. In 2021, they extended his contract for four additional years, making him coach until 2031 with an annual salary of $9 million. This season is not going well for the poor Aggies. They are 6-4 overall and 4-3 and in their conference with two games left to the season. So, they fired his ass. The athletic director said the team needed a shift in direction. Oh, and here's a $77 million to buy out your contract. What? I don't care what any college sport nut says. That kind of money is beyond absurd and should not be allowed. They paid that man $48 million to coach football for six years and then an additional $77 million to go away. $125 million paid by one university to one man for six years. If they have that kind of money, it should be used to keep tuition costs down, not to pay some damn coach. And just think of the money they will pay the next coach so the good old boys network can vent about how tough they are. So I'm reading a book by Texas Congressman Troy Neals called The Big Fraud, What Democrats Don't Want You to Know About January 6th and the 2020 Election. The man was standing in the House of Representatives at the time the protesters started to enter the Capitol, and it was the back of his head you saw in pictures talking to the protesters from behind the chamber door. In other words, he was there in the thick of it. Before entering Congress, he spent 21 years in the Army Reserves and nearly 30 years as a county sheriff. I will probably refer frequently to this eye-opening book, an excerpt from the book I found interesting was his comparison to the 2020 race riots and the January 6th protest. According to a major city's chiefs association, MCCA, report, there were 8,700 race riots in the major cities in the summer of 2020. 16,241 arrests were made, or about two per riot. By comparison, there have been 725 arrests in the January 6th protest, 160 times higher than the 2020 riots. Nearly all the people arrested in the 2020 riots were caught and released, while the people arrested for the January 6th protest are still in prison, without bail, and some in solitary confinement. Further numbers about the 2020 riots, 
policemen hurt, 2037. There were also 2,385 cases of looting, 624 acts of arson, and 97 police cars burned. There were at least 25 deaths associated with the riots and nearly $2 billion in property damage. As is evident, when it comes to how people were treated for protesting and rioting, it all came down to whose ox was being gored. The swamp didn't care about rioters until it came to their doorstep. After seeing the 2020 riots nightly on our television and now seeing the anti-Jewish backlash with riots going on all over the country, I have a few observations to make. First off, nearly every one of the riots and protests are going on in big cities run by Democrat mayors. Those mayors are failing the people who elected them miserably. It's causing destruction, anarchy, and billions of dollars. The Democrat leadership of the big city experiment has failed miserably. Those mayors need to be replaced and barred from future offices for being abject, spineless failures. Secondly, people can't seem to protest civilly anymore. Many are because of agitators sent in to rile up the masses, leading to anarchy. Any person deemed an agitator, especially those that don't live in the area where there are protests, needs to be given harsher sentences. Given the anti-Israel backlash that sprung up so quickly and so tenaciously, further dividing an already divided nation and the anti-Trump rhetoric as he nears presidency, I'm of a mind that perhaps the right to protest should be suspended for a few years. I realize that it's totally alien to conservative thought, but people these days are too harsh and critical of their fellow man. How anyone can see the atrocities committed by Hamas to the Jewish people on October 7th and then protest violently against Israel it seems to stretch the boundaries of comprehension. Where the hell is this coming from? Surely not sensible people. How can Americans be so callous against their fellow American? Politicians and their media ilk deserve our rancor, but not fellow Americans. If you pick at a scab, it's going to bleed. Maybe we should let the scab heal. Then again, as I'm writing this, I have the television on. And there are thousands of pro-Israel people amassed at the National Mall in D.C. protesting peacefully, the way our forefathers meant it to be. Perhaps I should throttle my original statement of suspending their rights should be modified to shooting violent protesters instead. Let's just start shooting them. I suppose everybody has heard the song Stairway to Heaven by Led Zeppelin. Supposedly it's the number one song in rock history. Although not by my vote, I don't care much for the song. But if you are one of those souls who love the song, you probably own the album called Led Zeppelin IV, one of the most well-selling albums in rock history. If you recall, the cover has an old man crouched over from the load of sticks he carries on his back. Supposedly, Robert Plant found the picture in an antique shop in Pangbourne, Berkshire. The picture was originally in a Victorian photo album titled Reminiscence of a Visit to Shaftesbury Whitsuntide in 1892, a present to Aunt Ar Arnie from Ernest. It is now thought the original photographer was Ernest Howard Farmer, 
the first head of photography at the Regent Street Polytechnic. Plant decided to use it for the album, released in 1971. Would you believe 52 years later, Brian Edwards discovered the picture in an old antique photo album and recognized the picture from the album cover. He was able to identify the man as Lot Long, a roof thatcher born in 1823. The picture was labeled the Wilshire Thatcher. Now that that piece of information is known, how long do you think it will be before the Long ancestor starts suing the bejesus out of Led Zeppelin for rights to that picture? Conspiracy theorist and journalist Michael Skidmore believed the song Stairway to Heaven was stolen from a song called Taurus, written by Randy Wolf of the band Spirit. Wolf was not part of the lawsuit, as he passed away in 1997, but Skidmore brought Wolf's trust into the suit, which was eventually struck down by the courts. The conspiracy that it's why Led Zeppelin's album didn't have the name or the name of the album displayed as if Plant was trying to downplay it. So I listened to the song Taurus on Spotify. It was a simple instrumental song of only 2 minutes, 37 seconds long. There are a couple of guitar riffs that might sound a little like the opening of the Stairway song, but in the end, the songs are nothing alike. In my mind, neither are that good. A Romeo Way sales are going pretty good, especially after the recent signing at the Love's Truck Stop in Kankakee. I will be appearing at another author signing at the Love's Truck Stop in Grant Park, Illinois, from 1 to 3 on Monday, November the 27th, if you're interested. I hope to see you there. Still waiting on the book to come out in audio format for my trucker buddies. This podcast is brought to you by Hoffman Chiropractic Neurology, celebrating 30 years of practice. Dr. Hoffman specializes in general musculoskeletal conditions, neurology, sports injuries, acupuncture, electrodiagnostics, and comprehensive wellness management. Dr. Hoffman provides exceptional care for patrons of all ages, from infants to elderly, from expectant moms to athletes. Dr. Hoffman's goal is to provide all patients a tailored treatment plan based on an extensive history, a thorough exam, and x-rays. Contact Hoffman Chiropractic Neurology for more information or to schedule. That's 815-937-0446. And now for my latest commentary, well, I done got old. It's official. In the words of bluesman Buddy Guy, well, I done got old. In a moment of bittersweetness, I got my first Social Security check this week. I could have received it four and a half years ago, but decided to wait until full retirement age, 66 years and six months. For the rest of my life, I will get paid by the government on the second Wednesday of the month, minus Medicare insurance. According to the government earnings site, starting in 1972, when I paid in $228, I allowed the government to keep $210,073 over the course of my working lifetime. And then my employers kicked in another $214,492, totaling $424,565 over 50 years. Imagine that amount had I been able to make interest on that money. 
Social Security was originally the brainchild of Dudley LeBlanc in his failed 1932 attempt for Louisiana governor. Edwin Witt, known as the father of Social Security, a political scientist at the University of Wisconsin, used LeBlanc's idea to develop the concept for federally funded pension plans in 1934. It was then pushed through Congress by Francis Perkins, the labor secretary in the Franklin Roosevelt cabinet, in response to the Great Depression. At that time, poverty rates for senior citizens exceeded 50%. The Social Security Act was enacted on August 14, 1935, during Roosevelt's first term in office. He established the President's Committee on Economic Security, using the infamous Keynesian economics as part of the New Deal. This was the first time this country had established federal assistance for the elderly, identified as Title I. Also hung on the new raw deal was Title III for unemployment insurance, Title IV for aid to families with dependent children, Title V, maternal and child welfare, Title VI, public health services, and Title X for the blind. I wish they'd established a title for pleasingly plump, good-looking truckers and podcasters, too. Initially, most women and part-timers were excluded from the unemployment insurance and old-age pensions. So were those who toiled at agricultural labor, domestic service, government employees, teachers, nurses, hospital employees, and social workers. These were jobs held mostly by women and minorities, so Roosevelt managed to exempt half the working population. This is good. The first Social Security payment went to Ernest Ackerman, retiring the day after Social Security began. He received 17 cents after only paying in 5 cents. Then, Ida Mae Fuller received the first monthly check on January 31, 1940. She had paid in $24.75 for the prior three years. Her first check was for $22.54. After she got the second check, she had already received more than she ever paid in. Then the old gal lived to be 100, collecting $22,889 in her lifetime. Since, Social Security has been constantly on the radar of politicians, causing many changes, adjustments, and court proceedings. Increases in the tax and retirement age were made several times. Medicare and Medicaid were added to the Social Security Act in 1965 by President Lyndon Johnson. Changes are still on the mind of politicians today. There is a new Social Security Reform Bill, H.R. 4583, that has seven more changes. As I understand them, there's going to be a cross-the-board benefits increase by roughly 3%, an adjustment cost-of-living modification to elderly consumers, increased minimum benefits for long-term low earners, elimination of government pension offsets, and a windfall elimination provision. Seems this would allow more opportunities to double dip. Increasing payroll tax income to $400,000, an increase from the current $160,200, whereas taxes used to stop after $160,200 in earnings in a given year, that amount will increase to $400,000. 
Then there's going to be an additional 12.4 investment income tax called the Social Security tax for individuals making more than $400,000. Combine the two Social Security trust funds, Old Age and Survivors Insurance Trust Fund, together in order to provide more flexibility in funding Social Security benefits. My question is, why were they separated in the first place then? Naturally, every Democrat wants to pass this legislation. It's shouted yet again, this bill will prevent Social Security from going bankrupt. Its passage is doubtful with an election looming. I bet it's brought back out after the election next November. Folks, Social Security is probably a good concept initially. I know, I can say that now that I'm collecting. The problem was that it was pushed through by the socialist Roosevelt due to the Depression and then manipulated by politicians for nearly 90 years. The government has proven they are incapable of operating a lemonade stand. The program could have been better managed by private investment companies with limited governmental oversight. However, the harshest of penalties should be levied at anyone misusing the retirement of any American who has basically loaned the program earnings from their paycheck their entire working life. Nothing has been said about why welfare and similar programs will not run out of money for those people who won't work or pay taxes. All right, folks, that's all I got for you today. If you liked the podcast, as usual, please tell others. If you'd like to uh, advertise on the podcast, I'm all ears. Just give me a shout at aweber1957 at gmail.com. I'm glad you tuned in. Thanks for listening. So long, folks.